Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 257. With that number, we'll give a shout out to former U.S. national teamer Lauren Holiday. In her three short seasons with NWSL, just 2013 to 2015, she took 257 corner kicks for FC Kansas City. And that was just in 48 regular season games. That's a ridiculous rate of corner kicks. And hey, she was also the league's first ever Golden Boot winner and MVP in the inaugural season in 2013. All right, two chats today. First with Neil Morris from North Carolina, who writes for Equalizer Soccer as well as WRALsportsfan.com. We talked about the Women's International Champions Cup, all the games, um, and also where North Carolina is with about a third of the season left to go. And then I had uh, a chat with a new guest on the show, Pardeep Katri, who writes for ProSoccerUSA.com. We talked mostly about Sky Blue's record-breaking game at Red Bull Arena this past weekend and also talked about where that club is at this point in the season. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Neil Morris from the Research Triangle. He writes about soccer for WRALsportsfan.com and also for EqualizerSoccer.com. And and Neil, I I hear occasionally you do a podcast in in the area, I think. Am I wrong? Well, that's on a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, I did one for three years, but my other obligations have steered me away for that for the 2019 season. So we're going to have to wait to see. So maybe that'll come back. But uh, I have you on the call today because, of course, just finished up the second edition of the Women's International Champions Cup, hosted this time in Cary instead of in Miami. Tell me first about the, the the tournament in general. I mean, like the response in the community and, and what it was like to have that at North Carolina's home. Yeah, it, you know, the sort of the response in the community is probably instructive to, to rewind a little bit uh, to what the response was in the community when the Courage won the ICC last year, which I've spoken about this on your show and others before, but you know there was a, there was a lot of uh, a lot of poo-pooing the inaugural tournament last year for a variety of reasons but the, what was interesting was uh and I've written about and I wrote about this in the run up to this ICC what was interesting was that when the courage won this thing which nobody thought they were given the fact they were missing six starters and playing you know Leon for goodness sake right. uh, when the, when they won it sort of triggered and activated the casual non-soccer sports media in the triangle. Uh, you know, the, the, what, what little soccer media there is was already sort of understood that the, the place and the and the time for this tournament amid the NWSL schedule. But when, when the when the when the non-soccer media saw uh, courage win tournament in Miami against European soccer brands that we've all heard of. <laughs> it, it, you know, all of a sudden they were like, wait a minute, what just happened? They did what? They beat who? And it became a thing. It got far more traction in the local market than I've told, said this before. Winning that ICC last year got far more traction in the local market than even winning the NFL championship. It was, it was very strange. And so that media was, was primed uh, when the announcement came several months ago that the Courage were going to host the ICC. There wasn't had, you know, not many folks had to be educated about what is this because they all remembered last year. And so there was already a base to build on, not just for the fan base, which remembered winning it, uh, but, the, but the sports media market already had a, a frame of reference. And I think that helped a lot as a baseline for the marketing, which kind of kicked into high gear. You know, there, there had been some money spent all along, like some fan gatherings several months ago and a, and a really nice mural that had been painted on a wall in downtown Raleigh to commemorate the event. So some money had been spent by, by Relevant on the marketing for this thing, but it didn't really kick into high gear until a week or probably two weeks before the event uh, when the, the Courage st- staff 
got the Washington Spirit game behind them and had sort of a free run to, to help relevant out with the marketing of this. So, And the other thing that really helped, to be quite frank and honest about it, was the World Cup. Uh, because yeah. the folks who didn't know these players already had just seen them play on their TV. And what was also interesting is that in because of a, of a local broadcast deal that, that North Carolina FC and the Courage entered into, uh, with their usual media partner, it didn't kick in until just before the Women's World Cup for whatever for various reasons. Uh, we were seeing commercials throughout the Women's World Cup uh, on Fox for not just Courage games, but Relevant was spending money for ICC advertising too. So, nice. That's so how that you do was, it. That is how you do it. And so everybody was always like, you know, you, 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 I mean, it wasn't this direct, but it was like, hey, you want to see these players in a, in a month or two? Come to carry in August. And so uh, everybody kind of knew Bronze, Renard, Heidelberg, you, you know, all of that was, was, was already there. And of course, you know, when a brand recognition, everybody's heard of Man, Man City and Atletico Madrid. So, uh, so all of those factors kind of kind of uh, fed into what became a really exciting event. The you know the the attendance was eh, close to fifty four hundred on Thursday, but there's a variety of reasons why it wouldn't have been as high on on a weekday. And keep in mind, you're selling two events. You're selling two doubleheader events in a four day span. Um, I think I think everybody who was organizing or at least marketing was probably glad that the Courage pulled out that late win against Man City, and we ended up oh, yeah. in the Courage <laughs> final. The pre-sales for that had been great, but there were still some tickets available. And I think once every night you had a thirty, you had a seven thirty match on Sunday night with Leon and 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 the Courage on ESPN two. That that sealed the deal of why they got the crowd they got. And again, I think it's probably important to point out also, you know, this isn't some this isn't a usual club event where they're having to sell tickets built off of a a season ticket and group sale base. You know, these these were all uh, new and clear seats that were having to be sold uh, for this. Right, you're starting from scratch. You're starting from scratch. So, and and the ticket prices were high, but they were higher than what you're usually used to for for a courage match. Obviously, so yeah, you're getting uh, getting two games, and it's. I mean, yeah. top, and so all top of team. all of that fed into a really a really dynamic event, and you, know, you and I were talking off air, uh, and I've written about this. It was the first home game for the Courage American World Cup players since France, which sounds astounding. It seems like that was a a, a, a year ago almost, but. Thursday last Thursday night was the first time the Courage fans have seen Crystal Dunn, Sam Mewis, Abby Dahlkamper. Well, they didn't even see Dahlkamper on Thursday, but or, or Jessica McDonald on the field uh, at Wade Med Soccer Park in uniform playing since the World Cup final. So that 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 mattered and probably sold a few more tickets than at least the Courage fans than maybe would have otherwise. We'll talk about the two games on on Thursday, um, both really close matches, both needing a late stoppage time goal to decide a winner and to avoid penalties. Yeah, it was it was interesting. The the, the first game against Le- from Leon and Atletico Madrid uh, was an odd little match. Uh, at, at first, it looked like Atletico Madrid was much better than than people thought coming in. Uh, it was very much, I mean, given the fact that they have a lot of players who were on the Spanish national team, it probably shouldn't be surprising that they played, they played a lot like Spain. Excellent in possession, great through the midfield, and then don't know what to do when they get in the attacking third. And that's exactly how they played. Um, they were great moving the ball around against Leon and tons of space. And I was like, this is very strange. Uh, and then they would try to make runs or get in behind or, or cut around the side or you know, cut down the flank, and then Leon would usually snuff out the, the problem. Uh, Paul Riley made the observation, and I think given the noticeable difference between the way Leon played on Sunday and the way he played on Thursday, I think he's right about this. He, he, he made a crack that 
Thursday, it looked like Leon was just kicking the ball around and playing at 10 miles an hour. And they probably were. They were probably easing into things. It was a 5 o'clock start. It was extremely hot and humid. Uh, the players were flagging during that match. Uh, so they were probably trying to conserve their energy. And they were probably trying to conserve a little energy because – they were rolling out a full-strength squad, and they were going to do the same thing on Sunday if they got into the final. It almost bit them a little bit. Atletico Madrid had a few chances, uh, but and I think they might have put a ball or two off the post, but they couldn't find the net, and then I think it was the third time Renard got on the end of a, of a corner kick, and she she nodded one down, and it went in, and there they are with the win. Uh, it felt inevitable, but they they had their moments given the, the style of play that they chose. Uh, the courage match was a wild affair. Uh, they were they were far and away the better team than Manchester City, which was not unexpected. But the 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 the, the difference was a bit surprising. And I wrote about this. It was very much like the typical courage NWSL match of late. One way traffic in favor of the courage. Tons of shots, tons of chances, a lot of them squandered by bad passing and bad shooting. And then there's a miscue in the back that gives the other team a, a, a goal and a lead. And you're, you're, you're looking at it saying, how did this happen? Uh, the Courage were pushing hard for an equalizer, as you can imagine. And then there was a, a rain delay or a weather delay in the 76th minute, which I think the consensus around the ground was that it would work to Man City's advantage because they were the team in preseason. They were probably a little tired. They were getting pushed hard, and we thought this was a chance they could regroup and, and rest. And Man City's, you know, after they ended up losing the match, uh, Man City's response was that they thought that the rain delay didn't help them because, you know, the Courage are used to that sort of thing. <laughs> They're used to long delays and coming out and knowing how to, to play. And and to be fair, Heather O'Reilly said, you know, in the locker room, we, you know, we run 20-minute drills in, in practice every day. It's part of what we do. And we said, okay, we got 14 minutes. Let's run a 20-minute drill. That's what we're going to do. And that's what they did. Uh, Man City, uh, their manager, Nick Cushing, said, yeah, we didn't know if we were going to start back or if the result was going to stand or we're not used to stopping games for an hour and restarting them. And so, right. you know, and, and so it was a whole foreign thing for them. <clears throat> and they, they and it looked that way. I thought the most interesting thing about that match <clears throat> was that at the outset of the resumption of play, Paul Riley uh, took off Crystal Dunn, Sam Hewis, uh, and Lynn Williams, and put on Mary Speck, uh, Mackenzie Meehan, and uh, and one other midfielder. I can't. The name escapes me. <clears throat> and a lot of us were looking and saying, "Well, maybe Paul's throwing in the white flag, or just hoping they can get the job done." Um, you know, Mackenzie Meehan had come in on a trade to North Carolina not too long ago. She had played a grand total of one minute right. before she stepped on the field Thursday, and then eight minutes later, she scores the equalizer. Um, and, then the, and then Jessica McDonald, who was also a halftime sub, comes on and scores the, the game winner at the literal death. So it was a very exciting match. Uh, by, by the time it finished, there was only a few hundred fans in the stands, but it was very, very lively. And so it was a fun night, and I think the organizers of the tournament were probably glad that the two teams who won won. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, and then Sunday – uh, you know, biggest crowd all season for the Courage. And, and of course, as you've already mentioned, it's it's that matchup. And then, of course, knowing that you've, you've got your national teamers back at home, um, evening game. So, and, and a rematch, a rematch of last year's final. So talk about that. Yeah. yeah you know, as far as the crowd is concerned, it was – it was perfect timing, uh, 7.30 on a Sunday. The weather, as which has been erratic in North Carolina, as, as seen Thursday, couldn't have been better. Um, you know, and we'd had probably three days for folks who hadn't bought tickets to kind of get into the into the bloodstream of the system that, hey, North Carolina and Leon are playing on Sunday. 
And so there was, there was last-minute push on ticket sales. And, you know, the one thing I'll say about Lyon in this whole tournament, there was a whole lot of talk from people who didn't pay a whole lot of attention last year who said, well, it was preseason for Lyon, and they, were, they didn't care about this, and they weren't trying. Well, the, the preseason excuse is one that's still around. It's not just one that the fans were saying, but you, you heard it from some of their coaches and players too, which I have my own opinion about that. <laughs> but as far as the not caring, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> they made no bones about the fact. And, and I'd already had some interviews with some folks with Relevant who said, yeah, they're mad they lost last year and they're coming to win. You're like, well, that's just something the organizers say. No, no, no. You know, if you read my article, you know, the, the the press conference even before Thursday's match, Lucy Bronze talked about how the the, the new coach, Jean-Luc Vasseur, had one of his things at the start of preseason was holding up his hand and saying the five fingers represented the five trophies that we have at our available to win this year. And the first of those was the women's ICC. And, it, and it's interesting because Leon wins everything. They right. haven't lost a they haven't lost a game of any sort since they lost to the Courage last year. And when you're that good and you win everything, you look for other worlds to conquer. And the one thing they hadn't won, and the one team they hadn't beaten was this. And so there was not a a you know when they rolled out their starting lineup, there wasn't any squad rotation going on. Nobody was managing minutes. Uh, no. Right. It was Bronze, it was Renard, <laughs> it was Marzon, it was Heigerberg, it was Paris, it was Lesame, it was Henri, it all, was all Bugatti, the it was it was Mbach, yeah. it was everybody. And so this notion they didn't care, no, no, no. And when they won, <laughs> it was a it was a great match. I think the courage had played the best I've seen them play in a long time. You know, and I was sitting next to Graham Hayes with ESPN, and I told him, and he agreed. He said, I, the Courage could have beaten any team in the world tonight except that one. <laughs> I mean, they, that's how good the Courage were, and it's how good Leon is. Um, you know, and I congratulate – after Thursday's match, Graham had a really great line in his recap that I complimented, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to co-sign it. He said, you know, Leon's a team you can't take your eyes off. The Courage is a team you, you shouldn't take your eyes off of. And that, Ooh, I thought that nice. kind of – I thought that kind of summed up the whole thing. Um, and and here's the other thing, and I wrote this in my in my recap. You know, the Courage won one zero last year, but nobody, even on the Courage, you know, was under any illusion that Leon was the better team. You know, Leon won this year, but I think everybody came out saying, you know, the the Courage are right there with them. I mean, these teams were even Steven uh, for the most part. And I asked Crystal Dunn, what, what kind of separated you two teams tonight? And she just looked at me and she's like, one goal. <laughs> oh, I, I, love like, well, I love that quote yeah. in your article. Yeah, I mean, so so that was it. So it's, you know, the Courage were disappointed they didn't win. But I've seen them really depressed after losses before. I mean, going back to the 2017 Portland lost to the NWSL championship. They were they were just disconsolate after that. Um, and it lasted for months. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see a lot of you know fretting after this one. I think they felt like they had played as well as they could, and it did. The ball didn't bounce their way, and so when that happens, you know, you tip your hat and you you go on. Well, and I love that it's setting up a rivalry that that can continue. Um, and and I love that we're hearing that the organizers are you know, looking, looking ahead to next year and wanting an eight team tournament. Well, they wanted one this year and, you know, right. I, I'm not sure. If, yeah. That Portland, they wanted a two, they wanted two American venues, North Carolina and Portland, you know, Portland supposedly didn't work out because of their stadium congestion. I wonder if there's other factors at play, but you know, I, I don't, I don't know any of that, but they want a Portland venue. They want a North Carolina. And then they were wanting a sort of a championship of the, the top two teams in, a, in two groups of four to meet at maybe a neutral venue. But I'm not sure how well that would work. 
but that was their ideal. I think what they would really like is four NWSL clubs and four European clubs. I, I don't really like that idea because it's, you know, it, it, the NWSL already has a four-team playoff. I'm not sure I would mirror that as far as four teams being involved from NWSL. I would much rather see two. I think maybe the, maybe the the shield and the championship winner, or if they're the both the same yeah. team that's the runner up, I think that would be a, a wiser decision and it would make it a little more prestigious, a little more meritorious too. So, right. uh, yeah, I, supposedly they have no, the, the surprising thing now, originally Chelsea and Wolfsburg was supposed to be in the tournament instead of Manchester city and Atletico Madrid. Uh, they end up having to back out. Madrid is the champion of Spain, so that's fine. City was the runner-up in England, so that was fine. Um, supposedly, they have lots of teams who would like to come over this thing, um, even though Releva doesn't pay an appearance fee to the women's teams. They pay their expenses. That's it. Um, that's, but supposedly that's so huge when you think about um, the opportunity it affords a team to expose their brand have preseason expenses covered for a week yep. to 10 days. That's huge. It is. And, I, and talking to all the, the players and the coaches who came over, the one thing they all, notwithstanding the heat, which none of them liked, uh, right. the one, the one thing they liked was not just the opportunity to be able to play, not just an American team, which they all wanted to play American teams, which is a, an interesting dynamic we could talk a long time about, but but to play other continental teams in, in preseason and, and get themselves trained. But the other thing, you know, the facilities were great. I mean, we've all been to Wake Med Soccer Park. There's grass field. I mean, there's eight grass fields. I mean, there was a time on 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 uh, Wednesday, I think it was, when all four teams were training on time. So, you know, and they, they had their hotel and they got a trip to the United States and, and all of that. Uh, so... I think they all enjoyed that opportunity from from that vantage point, and so I think there's a lot of teams that would like to take advantage of that if there's not other conflicts on their schedules. So moving forward from this, I mean, what what do you see for the the rest of the North Carolina season? Well, it, it, they are definitely hoping. You know, we talked about the European teams looking to use this as a springboard to their regular season. I mean the you know, the, this came in the middle of the Courage's regular season, so you would have thought, well, it's a little bit of an inconvenience, and Paul Riley was saying a little bit of that before the tournament. The truth is, if the Courage have not been playing that great as of late since the U.S. World Cup players got back. Um, probably their best game was against Washington when those players were away. And there's just been a lot of a lot of turmoil behind, not just uh, obvious, but also behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, my, my recap article on Equalizer, I left in a couple of really long quotes that Paul Riley gave during his press, post-game press conference after Thursday's win. You know, this was a huge comeback win, and he, he kind of took the opportunity to vent a little bit about his World Cup players coming back not as fit from World Cup and national team duty as he likes them to be for, for the courage. Uh, he made some comments about having had conversations with some of them. Uh, you know, he he didn't play Abby Dahlkamper against Man City, which you know the last she had made a defense, she made a miscue against Portland that led to one of their goals. She has not played that way. He said she hasn't played well since she got back from France, and so she sat against. Uh, Man City. He started her against Lyon, and I thought it's the best game I've seen her play since since uh, World Cup. So maybe mm. she's gotten maybe she's gotten woken up. I thought she played really good against Lyon. Um, so maybe something's gotten through to her. But but Riley's comments, you know, and he made a comment about you know you can't just come back and go through the motions. So there there's been something out of sync with the team, and I don't know what that is. And I probably there's probably a ton of factors that I'm that I can't, that I'll never know, but. I think that they, you know, and Paul said this, 
during, I think, his, his press conference uh, before the final. He, he said, it's been good to get away from the league. <laughs> I think they needed to get away and play different competition, play in their home setting, get some training, uh, and maybe get some wins in front of a big crowd that could kind of propel them. Kind of like uh, a reset before the th- final third of the season. That's exactly right. And I think the, the one of the big tells is going to be third event this Saturday when they host Rain FC, who are one of the one of the five teams that are in that dogfight for a playoff spot. And if the courage run out on their home ground against a Rain team that is, you know, suffering a lot of injuries and it looks like the old courage team and they roll to a win, you know, they may they may be on their way. They got a really congested schedule coming up, but but other than visits one, one visits to Portland and Utah, the rest of their schedule is pretty favorable. Uh, if they struggle against Rain, if they don't get three points, I, I don't know if anything's gotten better. So it's going to be really interesting. Uh, I think th- Saturday is going to be the big test. Uh, of w- whether they learned anything from from this ICC experience, and it's going to be interesting because the the pre sales on Saturday's game look really good. It was just announced today that the local Fox affiliate is going to cover the game on their channel, which is primetime Saturday on a, on the local Fox channel. Which the, no no soccer team, Courage or North Carolina men, have ever been on the Fox affiliate on Saturday primetime in the local market before. So it's a big deal and so if they can get it done Saturday they may have turned a corner if they don't I've got some concerns it's it's gonna be a really interesting final third of the season because I was looking at the standings yesterday and, and trying to see like are we at a point where someone's going to be eliminated soon or are we getting close to where maybe you can knock down the number of teams that could host uh, a semifinal, and it's still, I mean, other than Sky Blue and Orlando, who could, depending on how things fall, uh, be eliminated this coming weekend, it's still, uh, I mean, there's a lot of soccer to play, and the standings have not been this close in a long time. No, I mean, look, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult to for Portland not to win the Shield because simply because of their home schedule that they have. I mean, they've got right. I think all but two of the games they have coming up are at home, so it's going to be very tough to kind of knock them down enough. Even though they're not an invulnerable team, I mean, they, they're they, they've got you know they have weaknesses, but you know the crowds they're getting and the the intimidation that a lot of teams you know. Clearly, well, and, less, and less travel, and the and the travel is a big deal. So I think if Portland doesn't win the Shield, it'll be surprising. I, you know, Chicago was my preseason pick to win the whole thing, and I still think that they're really, really in form. Uh, I'm not as down on them sometimes as as, as Dan is. Um, <laughs> Uh, but as long as Kerr is healthy, and you know that foot injury she suffered the other day, hopefully she looks like she's fine now. But it was a weird non-contact deal, and you know if they lose Kerr, there goes everything. And so, you know, it looks like she's going to be fine. Uh, and I, I just really think Chicago that may finally be their year. Uh, the Courage have got to find their gear. Uh, if they do, they're fine. If they don't, who knows what will happen? Because Utah is making a charge. Uh, and and rain just when you think you can count them out, they get a win. You know they'll, they'll win at Portland, and you're like, well, how did that just happen? And so, yeah, and Blacko is just some kind of spinning magic. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, with all apologies to to Houston and Washington, I just I don't see any of the first five taking a dive enough to allow them back in, even if they find their form. So. Yeah, I to me, Houston and Washington having a chance would only be predicated on the five above them taking points away from each other. That 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 right. let those maybe squeeze squeeze in. That's really, um, you know, I think their their best bet right now. And well, you have to look, you have to look to it. Who's already played whom? Because three of, of Washington's six wins came against Sky Blue. So they've already played Sky Blue. They're not going to get any more, yep. you know, That's exactly of those right. 
Well, but Washington, yeah. they had a real, they had a good run of, of wins over some of the top teams there at the latter half of the World Cup uh, cycle. So, yeah. you know, I thought, I thought, well, maybe they're going to get their act together. But the, the problem is, every other team, even the Courage, got better with their national team players coming back, and the Spirit have not. Pew's hurt. Lavelle's been okay. And they have it appreciably increased. And I think they've got a lot of young players. Uh, they've got you know a couple of key rookies. And once you get to that latter half of the season, they they start getting tired. Uh, you know what? One interesting thing about the Kurds the other night. You know the striker sub that they went to after they cycled through Williams. Hamilton and McDonald all season it's been Leah Pruitt. Leah Pruitt didn't play a minute in the ICC, not one minute. Uh, it was Mackenzie Meehan who got the the call late in both those matches. So, you know, these rookies hit a wall, uh, and I think that's part of what you're seeing from Washington, who who did their part to get points during the World Cup cycle, but now they're they're hitting they're, they're hitting their own wall. And Houston, as you know, didn't do as much as they should have during the World Cup. Yeah, and they've they've had their own issues with rookies and their own issues with with injuries. But when I look at the spirit, Neil, it's funny what I think. What what they remind me of is the Washington, the the Western New York Flash in 2015, when they had four first round draft picks. You know, no names like Sam Mewis, Abby Delcumper, Lynn Williams, Jaylene Ankle. The beginning of that season, they played out of their minds. You know, because you're that rookie and you're not thinking it's, you know, no one's told you no yet. And, um, yeah. you know, they faltered middle of that season, but then, you know, look, look what happened the second season. Of course, part of that was having Paul Coach Riley change. step in, but, but you think about it, it's like what you can get out of rookies like that the second year, especially when yeah. they've had a rookie year where they've played that many minutes. I think we're just going to see the spirit get better and better. But anyway, last last com- last question for you. Wanted to get to a, a tweet we saw from Paul Riley today saying, got no interest in the U.S. Women's National Team job. Thoughts yeah. on that? Um, yeah, I have all to be to be transparent. I haven't spoken to Paul about this, so I, I do not know um, any backstory on this, or whether it's just as plain as that, or or whether it's one of those things where you you learn through enough phone calls that you're probably not going to get it, and then you take yourself out of contention. So it doesn't yeah, look like, you like don't waste over. my time. Yeah, yeah you, you create your own spin cycle. Um, but that being the case, you know, it's it, what I found interesting about the announcement wasn't trying to divine the reasons behind it. Uh, because, I mean, heck, you know, a week ago, Kate Margraff was throwing his name into her informal list of finalists. So, you know, who knows how much is, it could have changed in that short amount of time. What I found about it, what, what I found interesting about it is regardless of the reason behind the announcement. What I found interesting was the timing of the announcement. Uh, and this dovetails back to what I was talking about earlier about the courage trying to, to get in sync. There, there's probably few, if any, teams in the league where the, the status of the manager probably has as much of an impact as the courage on the rest of the team. <laughs> uh, they are absolutely, they're absolutely dedicated and devoted to him. You know, some, some people call it the courage culture, or sometimes I say it the cult of Paul. Uh, but but <laughs> they are they are because of, because of what happened in between 2015 and 2016 in Western New York, they are they are all in on him. Um, they owe him a lot, and they that's not me talking, that's them. Um, and I have to imagine that there, you know, you don't know what the chatter is behind the scenes. Uh, and reg- again, regardless of the reasons for Paul's decision or announcement, I would imagine that his decision to do it to make the to make it now has to be motivated in some part by a a a, a need or a belief that he needed to quell the waters. Uh, that 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 he did not want this to go on, and for that to be a thing that could potentially unsettle his squad, and so he's letting them know, I'm here, I ain't going nowhere. 
let's go win this. I'm with you. And so, you know, if you know sort of the, the way the courage are, I think there's something to that. Because otherwise, you know, why would Paul do this now? Just let it play out a while. You never know what's going to happen. You know, there's no need to sort of, and I, you know, sometimes you want to write your own your own PR. Uh, but but knowing him and knowing the team, I, you know, my suspicion is that that was part of the motivation. I think that I think that makes a lot of sense because I I have never seen another team in Andy Russell so so devoted uh, to their coach. I mean, one of the the images from the 2016 final that's still burned in my brain at, at, at BBVA Stadium is, you know, Paul having had to be up in the uh, you know up in the suites or. Um, for or just above, you know, because since he was he had he'd been ejected after the semifinal, so he couldn't be on the bench for the final. And by the time he finally gets down to field level, you know, the players have been celebrating. Um, but to see Lynn Williams and Sam Mewis do a full field sprint to jump into his arms, you know, after they yeah. played 120 minutes was just like, wow, that's that's a whole level of commitment that that we don't often see. Yeah, we, you get tired of hearing it, and heck, even sometimes I get tired of covering it. But it's, you know, every player you talk to and you say, so what do you credit to your, you know, Kristen Hamilton, I did a feature on her a long time. So what do you credit your your recent rise in whatever? Well, Paul, Paul, Paul. <laughs> you know, Jessica <laughs> McDonald, what do you what do you credit making the World Cup, Paul Riley? Why do you credit the reason you're still in the league, Paul Riley? Sam Ewan says the same thing. <laughs> Lynn Williams says the same thing. They all say it. Um, and, and, you know, some people, you know, some people think it's weird. But look, when you when you're those players who went through what they went through in 2015, and then he comes in and they they become league champions in a year, and then go on to do what they've done from there. And and most of these players who have gotten to national team level, especially on the American side, they believe, and they're probably accurately uh, accurate that they owe it to him and their yeah. success on the club level. And this goes back to the NWSL discussion. Their success on the club level has brought them success on the national team level, and all that that brings with it. So, yeah. So I, I would have to imagine, and again, not being plugged in, but I have to imagine that you know all these all these players are plugged into the national team scene. They're probably wondering who the new coach is going to be. And, you know, if Paul knows it's not going to be him for whatever reason, you know, he's got some motivation to put it out, at least for his team at this point, to say, all right, let's get on about the business that we're here for. Well, and it speaks to uh, as well that um, you totally see why why his name would be on that list, right? I mean, having having created so much success, not only in NWSL, but also WPS, um, you know, knowing the landscape of women's pro players so well. But but I think that's really smart of just like, hey, you know, you can set that tone with your players and, and say, I'm not going anywhere. So we'll, we'll yeah. see how the season turns out and, and who eventually gets the nod for the next U.S. Women's National Team head coach. Well, Neil, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk ICC and NWSL and, of course, North Carolina Courage and, and Paul Riley. I really appreciate it. Jen, I love coming on anytime. Thank you for having me. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Pardeep Katri from ProSoccerUSA.com, predominantly covering Sky Blue FC for Pro Soccer USA. Pardeep, what a big game for Sky Blue FC this past weekend. Oh, it was huge and very, very exciting. And I also heard very, very, very hot. Oh, yeah, totally. You didn't feel it in the uh, shaded press box, but uh, apparently the real feel was 102 degrees during the third water break. Wow. Wow. But let's go back to the build-up to this game. Um, you know, we heard a few weeks ago that the game was being moved to Red Bull Arena because uh, they, you know, had already sold more than enough tickets uh, to have to move out of your sack field. And we heard earlier this season too, that sky blue FC knows that they, they need to find a new venue. So this could be their last season at, at your sack, but 
Tell me from a perspective of someone who's covering the team week in, week out, um, what this season has, has been like, because it seems like after a really rough 2018 in terms of press coverage that Sky Blue is finally getting a little bit of positive coverage. Yeah, it seemed like from the start of this season that they had already started fixing some of the most obvious problems that they had. Obviously, players were not working or living in great conditions. And the first time I went to a preseason training, already the players were saying, all that stuff is so much better. So at least from that standpoint, you know, that it makes everything else sort of easier. And that's what they were saying after the first game, too. But then, of course, there was that stretch of all of those well, mostly losses. They weren't all losses, but before the first win, all the way in July, there were all of those not-so-great performances or results, so it felt at least just on the pitch a little bit of the same. But I don't know, ever since that first win, things have just been looking up as much as it can, you know? And, of course, the club let go of Denise Reddy in in late June, Um Hugo Macedo seems to be holding down the fort right now on the bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, he can't be named head coach because he doesn't have uh, the necessary license for it. And we're hearing that, you know, coaches are being interviewed. But, uh, you know, do you have any intel on, on you know, when we think there'll be a coach for Sky Blue or, or you know, if it'll be a big name? Just any of your thoughts or who you would well, want I- it to be if you got to do the hiring. Oh my gosh, nobody should put me in charge of these things. <laughs> but uh, I mean, especially now that Elise LaHue is there, she seems like she might be better at this than I would be. But um, no, I can tell you last week that she said that this whole process took longer because there were more people interested than she had anticipated and that the ownership group had anticipated. But I can That's also nice tell you that. Hear. Yeah. And so. I asked her on what, uh, what it was Wednesday last week. Are they still in the interview process? She said, that's true. And then somebody else asked her on Sunday about it. And she basically said that she doesn't know what the PR team will uh, allow her to say. So she kind of had no comment. <laughs> so I'm that's, guessing there's some sort of a tricky way to do that. That's a tricky yeah. way to do that. I'm not sure what yeah. I'm allowed to say, so I'll, I'll say That's nothing. That's a good way to do it. Pin it on someone else. Always a smart move. Yeah. Well, and and before we talk more about the game at Red Bull Arena, talk about that win at home following that that key win at Chicago, but then Sky Blue returning home last month and getting a late-game winner scored by Jen Hoy against Utah having back-to-back wins uh, first time in a long time. Oh, yeah. that Yeah, you're making me go way back in my memory now. That feels like a long time ago. <laughs> they played, I don't know. They've played a lot of games since that. But, no, that game, that was obviously that first game after the World Cup, and there was a bump in the crowd already. So there was already a sort of increased energy, I would say, around the whole thing. And then getting that result, I don't, it just seemed like a very, very uplifting thing for the entire team. And I think they've kind of been working on that energy ever since. I mean, we can look at the results and obviously from that first game where they won in Chicago, up until now, the results have been better. Obviously in the last week, they got four points out of six, which, I mean, I'm not trying to, rub it in but when's the last time that happened uh no that's that's an important milestone well and that's why i wanted to go back to that win against utah because to to register back-to-back wins which they hadn't done in a long time and uh Mm -hmm. you know and to pull out a last minute win and it's you know right after the head coach was was let go to me that's that's the beginning of some of their momentum changing and sure they've had some losses since then uh, and challenging games but yeah we could even say this sometimes last season it's like but they were always in it um yeah but when you look at you can't look at this this year's roster and say oh you know they're it's the same as last year because it's not i mean the the player turnover uh between the seasons is huge so it is a 
very different sky blue. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think it was, it was really exciting last Wednesday, uh, watching Paige Monahan not only get her first career goal, but get her second career goal in stoppage to win the game after Sam Kerr had already scored a goal in stoppage. Yeah, I had to rewrite my lead like four times that day. <laughs> <laughs> so but no, and those are some very good goals. <laughs> and t- talk about that game because I mean, you've watched Paige Monahan all season. She ended up, of course, getting Player of the Week honors. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, talk about the growth of of those rookies because they're so crucial to Sky Blue, which has you know the smallest roster in the league. Had players drafted who, of course, refused to report to the. The club, but the ones who did—Paige Monahan, Julie James Doyle, Kenny Wright—I mean, they're really performing. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking Paige Monahan specifically, obviously, earlier in the season she was playing fullback, and I mean, I'm not so sure that was her greatest place on the pitch. But the last few games, she's been consistently playing further forward. She played there in college, I believe. So there was already that sort of natural um, comfort level there. And I feel like over the last few games as well, she's gotten those consistent minutes, those consistent starts. It looked like she was eventually on the way to me, uh, to getting some goals and just being productive for the team in that way. And I mean, uh-huh. Hugo Macedo said the same thing as well. The other day he, uh, he was like, I felt that she was, close to getting a goal for the last few games so it was nice that she got one but not two that day and again she and then you saw it again in the game at Red Bull Arena she was there she was again a presence up there and there was that one shot that I I remember that she didn't (laughs) take well which is terrible but that's the one that sticks out of my brain but really she's 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 starting to get used to this she's starting to really really look like someone who can be effective for you know a longer period of time if that made sense and I, then that's the, the challenge for for any of the rookies coming out of the college yeah. system because our college system is just it, it's not designed to prep you for a long season especially when it allows subs in both the first and second half you know um and then of course there's the amazing kaylin sheridan who when you look at her numbers uh this season compared to her previous two seasons um Mm -hmm. and of course a a goalkeeper's numbers are never just her own that you've got to factor in the the defense in front of her as well yeah but she's she had never been below uh a, a goals against average of two before, and now she's well below two for, for, for this season. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, stunning, stunning numbers. And, you know, you'd think about, um, you know, if Sky Blue had been able to have her during the World Cup period, obviously she had, she was with Canada over mm-hmm. in France, but, you know, that's, that, that's a big piece of the puzzle too. But but let's let's move on to the big game, which of course was Sunday, Red Bull Arena, Sky Blue setting a franchise record for both WPS and NWSL, biggest ever mm-hmm. crowd by more than three thousand people. So, talk about what it was like to be at that game, and then and then let's talk about the game itself. I mean, I was talking about that game where, right after the World Cup against the Royals, where everything felt a little bit more exciting. That there was that buzz around the place. Obviously, what happened at Red Bull Arena on Sunday totally blew that out of the water, right? (laughs) Really, no, really, you could feel that excitement from everyone. I mean, obviously, I spent a lot of time with the media, so I was there with the uh, in the uh, press box and whatnot, and you could feel that excitement there. But really, sitting in the outside press box, hearing the whole stadium, and that stadium has very good acoustics. Yes, the atmosphere was. Very. I, I mean, the only word I can use is exciting because you could feel the excitement from everybody sitting there, and particularly Cloud Nine. Yeah, it sounded and looked so good on, on TV, and and that's why you, you got to thank those stadium designers that designed the roofs yeah. like that to to keep the sound in and and amplify it because it just 
you know, even if I didn't have my eyes on the screen, I knew a really intense match was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, credit where it's due to those stadium designers. <laughs> so, of course, uh, you know, Sky Blue didn't have Amani Dorsey for, for this game uh, with the yeah. injury suffered uh, the previous Wednesday game. But, you know, pretty, pretty tough game. Um, got a goal from Elizabeth Eddy. That was great to see mm-hmm. her score. Mm-hmm. Her first ever goal for Sky Blue. Actually, I believe she had one earlier in the season. It was for North Carolina. It wasn't. Oh, goodness. You're Blue. right. Yeah. And, and it's you're funny because right. we, we had some confusion <laughs> on the ground. about that. Too. Well, because they were telling me, they're like, isn't that her first goal of the season? I'm like, no, it's her first goal of the season for Sky Blue. It's not her first goal of the season. Like, like, yeah, it's confusing. And, of course, if you look at the stats on NHLsoccer.com, they don't separate them by team unless you go through Yeah. I think that's where I went to go look. And then and then you got distracted. Because, wow, of course. Because yep, then there was another goal right after. Yeah. <laughs> the stadium announcer was still halfway through the announcement for that goal when the other one happened. And and that's where we get that cliche of, of the most dangerous time is right after you scored. Yep. You know. Um, but what were your thoughts overall on on the performance of that game, especially for Sky Blue to have uh, you know three games in what eight days? Yeah. Um, I think the heat didn't help at all. And obviously, considering all of those games that they'd played in quick succession, they were a little bit fatigued. But again, I was impressed by their ability to actually, I mean, they spent the last stretch of that game really pressing for that goal, and it seemed like it was going to come at one point. But the second half, I thought, was better than the first. The Reigns still, obviously, were very dominant the entire time. But again, when I watch Sky Blue, it's all about knowing that they're only going to perform so well or in certain ways against certain teams, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not a shock that the rain mostly were dominant in most of the categories outside of obviously the goals. But right. again, they're creating these meaningful stretches of possession several minutes at a time. And frequently they look like they can actually threaten another team. And that's like like you're saying it's it's that that sea change of of momentum that we've seen since since early July. I mean, yeah. it was such a close game. Um, you know, of course, both teams would have preferred a one, and of course, we would have all preferred to see more goals. But it was like it was an intense intense battle, um, which is always hard in that heat. And I really mm-hmm. love the comments of Ali Long. Uh, on the broadcast at the end when they talked to her post game and she's like, this was great. Can we do this more often? You know, this should be the standard. And it's, it's, it's really great. I think when a a player, especially, you know, a national team player can speak so frankly and clearly and not bring any other drama into it, but just like, this is how it should be. Yeah. No, she spent, I apparently she spent 20 minutes with the media after the match. and. Basically, she was saying the exact same things. She was talking about how, obviously, she's a New York State native, so she's a bit familiar with the area. And she talked about how she believes that there is a market here, but it's all about properly marketing the team or just the sport in general. Yeah. Um, putting them in play. And the other players, the Sky Blue players, obviously said the same thing. It's about putting the team in a place that's relatively easy to get to. Um, basically, just having sort of that accessibility, and then combining it on top of what they, what everybody called a professional atmosphere at a place like Red Bull Arena that you don't get at your sack. That's yeah. the sort of thing that these players who are all—it's not just the national team players, obviously—but they're all trying to boost the profile of this league. It's something that they clearly were very passionate about, very much enjoyed, and hope to replicate not just here but anywhere else possible. And why do you think we're seeing more of that this time as opposed to post-2015 you know, World Cup? I don't remember as many players speaking out so clearly for the league. 
Yeah, yeah. I think that's been a really, really big difference between the 2015 celebrations and the 2019 ones. And I, look, I obviously can't speak to what the players are thinking and what they've been saying to each other, but clearly they've expressed this interest in the viability of this league and of the career of a female soccer player in the United States in general, right? And I guess you can in some ways tie it to that sort of, uh, to their uh, pay dispute about how they've been trying to find this sort of legitimacy. And again, I say viability of the female soccer player in America and creating this culture where it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to sort of be on the side, maybe a little bit just grateful that you're there and that this opportunity exists, but that you can really enjoy what it means to be a soccer player professionally to a full extent. And have have a career that lasts longer than, yes. than two or three years. Because especially when we look at what the the minimum salary is this year, uh, which is right around 16. Uh, but when you factor in, you know, they're also provided housing, insurance, per diem, relocation expenses, if you annualize it, it's about it's about forty thousand on the year. That's not mm-hmm. bad as a twenty-two or a twenty-three-year-old. You can anyone can do that for a couple of years, but that's the key. Yeah. Like it can't you, you can't do a decade of that, <laughs> no. and you know, and you don't you hinder the growth of of all these teams and these rosters if you know you you can't keep players. And I think we're at the point where we might see a different kind of departure from the league if the league doesn't keep up. And by that, I mean, you know, we, a few years ago, we were seeing a lot of retirements of 24, 25 year olds, right? Yeah. Not nearly as many now, but I, I do feel like we're going to start seeing unless the league can keep up with Europe um, player departures for Europe as, as Europe is embracing the women's game. I mean, Manchester United last year and Real Madrid this year, finally adding mm-hmm. women's teams. Um, if, if that's not <laughs> a big flashing red sign of, you know, acceptance of women's soccer over there, you know, I, I don't know what is, but that's right. the kind of thing. Like when they don't work on the system that NWSL does, um, you know, with the whole parity and salary caps, like, they're going to start writing some really big checks. Yeah. Which is great for the players that receive them. But, yeah. you know, I, 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 I love seeing the national teamers support of this league. Um, I think any yeah. of us that cover this league or, you know, anybody that listens to my podcast, I know, you know, they, they care a lot about this league. You, you know, none of us want it to become the, the also ran. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know, and and that's why come, kind of coming back to Sky Blue, I'm happy, you know, to to hear them talk publicly about okay, we had a lot of people, more a lot more people apply for the head coach than we expected, and yes, we have to move from from your sack, um, yeah, you know, and being able to do that that game at at, at Red Bull, and you know, hope, hopefully more. Um, because they need to be able to keep doing things to attract players, uh, you know, not only just to yeah. them, but, but, but to the whole league. I mean, we don't want any club. It, you know, it hurts the whole league if there's any clubs that players are saying, I don't want to go there. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Um, but I, one, to me, that's yeah. the uh, obvious next, natural next step for this team is, you're figuring out a lot of this off the field stuff and that's great. And obviously you have to continue, but I'm really, really curious to see what happens when a new coach comes in, whoever that new coach is and what sort of ambitions they have for maybe the 2020 season, not to write off what's remaining of the 2019 season, but right. uh, Clearly we, I think we can all tell this is a, a small roster, but there's a lot of room for improvement, even with some of the very talented players that they have. So if they can start putting that into, if they can start, uh, words, do I have them? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, if they can start making plans on how to do that, then I think 
it won't be so long before this team becomes somewhat attractive to any player, at least in this league, if not outside of it, too. Yeah, and it, 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 I think it would be equivalent to that kind of getting in on the ground floor thing where you can see uh, a club that's turned things around and, and you know, ma- making improvements, yeah. um, you know, because almost everyone is in a... I hesitate to use the phrase legit, but legit stadium. And by that, I mean somewhere where the players can go from the field to locker room without interacting with the public. And that's, 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 that's my barometer right now, you know, and And yeah. And your sack doesn't have that. And uh, you know, the soccer plex doesn't have that. Um, But it's nice to see those, those clubs aware of, well, that's a, that's an improvement we want to make. And, you know, it's, it's, it's baby steps, it's continual growth. And, you know, um, having been someone that, that followed MLS for a long time, a lot of this reminds me of the growing pains that MLS went through when a lot of teams were stuck in NFL venues that were too big and too expensive. Or I remember, I remember the one season where, Kansas City before they were sporting can sporting KC had to play in a baseball venue that was yeah. like a 10,000 seater and like really had to like awkwardly fit but it was while the new place was being built and it's like I think we're you know we're kind of going through that that next phase of of growing pains but you know yeah. it, it's all good stuff I mean we can look back it's it's nice to be able to look back and go hey you know it sucked that we lo- lost the Boston Breakers and it sucked that we lost you know, FCKC and it sucked that Western near flash had to kind of, kind of sell, but, but then you look at what you have now, um, you know, those, those things had to happen for the league to get better and, and to, to still exist. And, you know, hopefully someone will step up and want to like, you know, bring a Boston team back into the market, you know, um, kind of have that natural to renew that natural uh, New York Boston rivalry. Right. (laughs) That'd be fun. (laughs) Well, last thing party, I I want you to share like um, how, how did you get into uh, covering sports and specifically covering women's soccer? Um, These are probably pretty boring stories, but I will share (laughs) anyway. Uh, Well, um, I remember watching the 2010 World Cup and I really just got the men's World Cup. And I really, really mm-hmm. got into it. And so then eventually watching women's soccer was a very natural next step. I remember maybe what the World Cup was in June and July. I remember, I don't know why I remember this so specifically, but I remember that like the U.S. women was playing a game probably a few months later that was on TV. And I remember paying attention to that. And then I remember watching the 2011 Women's World Cup as well. So it was just a very natural, oh, okay, let me watch as much soccer as possible. Oh, okay, there's <laughs> soccer games in Europe. Oh, there's soccer games in America. Oh, there. Oh, women play soccer too. Okay, great. Let me just watch anything that I can. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. not, but not everybody goes from that to actually covering the games, you know, that's true. Doing, doing the writing. So that's true. Um, I don't really know what happened there either. I think the story <laughs> is that <laughs> the story is kind of that around the same time I was in this English class. And one time my English teacher told my mom at like a parent teacher conference that I was pretty decent at the uh, writing or whatever. And I'm like, hmm, what if I can combine soccer and writing? And that kind of just stuck. The line I used to give was, instead of paying to go to sporting events, what if I got paid to go to sporting events? Smart. Smart. Yeah. See, I, I cracked a code, basically, and now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep up the good work on uh, ProSoccerUSA.com oh, and it. hope you get to cover more Sky Blue games at Red Bull Arena. Oh, I would love to. All right, 
great time to wrap it up with the back four. If you didn't hear the news last week, ESPN now has the worldwide rights to end of sell streams. This is a long-term good thing in terms of revenue for the league and other things, but a short-term obstacle for international fans wanting to watch the streams. For the rest of this season, this season, international fans must already have access to their regional ESPN channel or in Canada, access to TSN. Meanwhile, Yahoo Sports remains the provider for USA streams and there's no login necessary. So I would highly recommend to all international fans who want to watch the streams how to figure out how to use a VPN if you don't know already. It's simple software, usually really affordable, that can make it so that Yahoo Sports thinks you're browsing from the USA. I'd reach out uh, to Twitter account at NWSL Tech Support for help if you need it. And we're just two months away from the 2019 NWSL Championship game. Tickets are on sale now at nwslsoccer.com slash championship. The game will be played Sunday, October 27th in Cary, North Carolina at the home of the North Carolina Courage. And get this, right now no team has been eliminated from playoff contention. And next week, we've got two Women's World Cup Victory Tour games. The U.S. women will face Portugal twice. First, August 29th in Philly, and then on September 3rd in St. Paul, which is not Minneapolis, uh, contrary to my previous mentions. The game in Philly has already sold more than 40,000 tickets and could set a new record for a U.S. women's standalone friendly. That game will air live on Fox Sports 1. The other game will be on ESPN 2. Meanwhile, 16 players from NWSL are joining the U.S. U23 team for next week's Nordic Cup. For more information about any of those games, check out ussoccer.com. And if you haven't already followed my new Twitter feed, give a follow to Woso Merch. Um, I'm posting regularly uh, about... Well, some merch that's out there like jerseys, collectibles, tickets, scarves, etc. If you have anything to suggest, let me know. Um, and my two merch plugs, as always, are the Keeper Notes Almanac, which you can buy from keepernotes.com. It's all the data from 2013 to 2018, all in one magical 300-page book. And separately, I've also designed a lot of t-shirts to support the NWSL. So if you're on keepernotes.com, you can just click from there, or you can uh, go to spreadshirt.com and search for Keeper Notes. Basically, all the shirts, uh, there's shirts for every team, and there's also a new shirt I designed uh, saying world champs made in the NWSL. Um, And $2 of every shirt purchased from my site will be donated to the NWSL Players Association. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone for recommending new listeners. I always appreciate that. And many thanks, as always, to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's anybody's girl.